happy Thanksgiving. This is, guys, it doesn't get any better than this, okay? This is, Matt, this is it. This is like, this is the beginning of the holiday. Matt, this is when people start driving through your driveway for no apparent reason to stare at Christmas lights. Oh, man, it is so good to be here. Aren't you, aren't you thankful for our worship team, just them being able to minister to us? I know that I really am. Let me ask you a question. Well, let me start out with, with telling you something here about myself, and that is that occasionally I wake up, you know, we'd have to say in the middle of the night. I wake up in the middle of the night, and I can't go back to sleep. And it's not because I'm not tired. It's because once I'm awake, my mind begins to focus on things. And generally those things are difficulties that I'm going through. They're worries. They're concerns that I have. Now, let me ask you this question. Has anybody else ever had that same thing happen in your life? Never. Never. Thank you. Yes. Can you identify with this? If you can identify, say, yes, I can identify. Oh, that's, man, that's better, Benjamin, sometimes than the response you get when you come up for greeting. That was so good. We all do. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you can because you fit right in with 40 million other Americans. Some studies even say up, up to 72% of Americans struggle with issues related to, I'll just use one word to kind of cover it all, anxiety. I came across an article by someone, her name is Amy Morin, and she says this, science says that anxiety isn't the problem. Your response to anxiety is what matters. Just think about that for a second. As it relates to those middle of the night times when you're awake, it's not the anxiety that's really, it's how we're responding to it by being focused on it. So how do we respond to those things in our lives? I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. He says this, do not be anxious about anything. He doesn't say, don't be anxious except for the big stuff. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, I can't, the, the, the language, I can't, every situation, come on, there's some situations that just demand anxiety. They demand a worried response. But he said, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Does, it, does this scripture apply to anybody here today? Thank you. It's the, it's the reality. Paul's word there for anxious, it's our body's response to worry and fear. We, everyone in this place has it. We are all linked with this common thing. And the word thanksgiving is the language of gratitude. 
Oh, I want to learn the language of gratitude. How do we respond to worry and fear? We become anxious. We wake up in the middle of the night because we got to use the bathroom and we can't go back to sleep because of that worry and fear and the anxiety that takes hold of us. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes using a, a biblical story about a man named Joseph who faced incredible fear and worry in his life. He undoubtedly felt a sense of anxiety, but how did he respond to those circumstances. I think there's something there for us. And there's three particular circumstances in his life that would have been great cause for concern, for worry, for fear in his life. The first one was this. He was betrayed by his brothers. Joseph was the youngest of 11. He was his father's favorite. God had given him two dreams and in these dreams, one of the dreams were about sheaves and the other one were about stars. And in each of those situations, the sheaves and the stars bowed down to him. And he made the mistake as a, as a kid. He did what you never do. He told his family, he told his brothers, he told his parents about these dreams. And they judged him incredibly harshly. In fact, his brothers hated him him because of these dreams. I want to look at Genesis 37, and if you have your Bible, it, keep it open, to, or, or your phone, keep it open to Genesis chapter 37, because we're going to go from there and forward. But here's what he says in verse 19 and 20. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Now come, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say to that, say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Not only did they want to kill him, they wanted to kill his dream. His brothers, though, fortunately, they changed their mind. We look in verses 28, 7 and 28. Come, let it, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. And not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. His brothers had this opportunity. Instead of killing him, they could sell him into slavery. I cannot imagine a more hurtful scenario growing up, that your siblings would sell you into slavery. Now, some of you here, they threatened. Okay? I know they did. I know they did. They threatened to do it, but of course, that would never happen. And the threat, you know, even that, sometimes it's hard to take as a joke. I've told the story before about, about how I responded when I felt betrayed by my brother Dan, and how that stuck with me for such a long time. And it wasn't until my mom reached out to me and said, Kevin, you guys are going to lose something very special. I don't know what's happened, but you've got to do something about it. And I felt convicted to write a letter, and that letter helped me release that feeling that I had of being betrayed. Because he picked something else over plans that we had together. I remember being hurt. I remember being angry. 
even possibly bitter about it. In Genesis chapter 39 in our story, let's look at Joseph. Starting at verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Now this is after he's in Egypt. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. So Joseph started out. When he walked through the door in Potiphar's house, he was a slave. And, and, and it slowly began to change because eventually he actually lived in the house. And slaves did not start out living in the house because they couldn't trust them. But there was a trust that was built and pretty soon he became Potiphar's attendant. This tells us something about Joseph's response to betrayal. If Joseph had been bitter, if Joseph had been angry... If Joseph had been unforgiving, I want to guarantee you that that would have seeped through into his servitude and everyone would have known it. The owner put him in control of everything in his house. He was promoted. I came across a study of 300 college-age students that were seeking counseling for anxiety and depression. And in their counseling, they were, they were instructed to write letters of gratitude for three weeks. To count their blessings. And, and, and what they found out as a result of doing this is they were happier. They were less depressed the, the, the reality that they found was that gratitude improved their mental health because it shifts the focus away from those toxic feelings and it makes it hard to dwell on those negative experiences. Jacob was promoted. Jacob's life was blessed because of how he responded to betrayal how he responded to the anxiety that no doubt filled his heart. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. All circumstances. Not just the ones that, that we want to. He said all of them. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Even in betrayal, gratitude is God's will. I didn't expect anybody to say amen there. Even in betrayal, gratitude is God's will. Let's go to the second one. The second circumstance in, in Joseph's life. I can always depend on Nikki. She's always good for that. I'm thankful for you. He was accused by his master. Potiphar, the Bible says, only concerned himself with the food that went in his mouth. I, there, I don't think there's anybody here living life like that. We all have to concern ourselves with other things when, we, when we're at home. 
It's not just what we eat. Now, I, I, I am concerned about what I eat, okay? I, you ask my family, you ask my staff, I am a food-motivated person, okay? If I was a dog, I would be a Labrador retriever, okay? I am food-motivated. That's Potiphar only worried, he only cared about what he, the food he literally put in his mouth. Everything else, Joseph was the one who took care of everything. Everything was under Joseph's management. But the problem was that in that, in that responsibility, Potiphar's wife, I don't know how to really say this, She, she, got, she got interested in Joseph. And I mean in the kind of interest that's not good for your marriage. In fact, the Bible says that she tried every day to seduce him. He's a young man. He has the highest level of responsibility under his master, and she's trying every day. Look at chapter 39, verses 11 and 12. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. So to protect herself, here's what Potiphar's wife does. She lies. She lies. She can't have Joseph telling her husband the truth. The truth is that every day she's been coming after him. The truth is that she grabbed his clothing and said, I want you to come to bed with me. And he ran so fast, he ran right out of his clothes. She used those clothes to say, see, here's what he did. And she, she comes up with a completely fabricated story where she turns things around and makes Joseph look like the predator and not herself. Look at verses 19 and 20 of chapter 39. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison where the king's prisoners were confined. The master does what I think any person would do in that circumstance. I got I to gotta believe my wife in this situation. And he reacts the way most husbands would. He did whatever he could to fix the situation, to remedy it, to punish Joseph Joseph had been betrayed by his brothers. Now he was accused falsely by his master. What do you think his first response would be? To attack back? Some of us, that's what we would do. Some of us, we would, we would use sarcasm because that's a way we can not say it and really say it. Right? Sarcasm is a great tool Man, it is, it, it can, you can fillet somebody up and they don't even know what hit them. How would we respond to something like that? When we've been falsely accused, 
We would have to refute it. We would have to rebut it. We would go into protection mode because someone is assassinating my character because they're falsely accusing me and I am going to set the record straight. And guess what? Joseph didn't have that ability because he was a slave. He could not stand up for himself. He could not stand up for his reputation, which was completely sterling because he had been promoted up the ranks to be number one. Genesis chapter 39, beginning of verse 20, the second half, it says, But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. When he entered into prison, he was a common criminal. But soon he becomes the right hand of the warden. Do you see a pattern in Joseph's life? He's been betrayed by his brothers, and yet he rose to the highest authority in Potiphar's house. He's falsely accused, he's put in prison, and now he is rising again in the situation that he's in, and he is now becoming a person of authority. He's not, he's not responding the way you and I would be with bitterness or anger. He's not responding, defending himself. He didn't spend all of his time in prison saying, I'm innocent. He went to work, and he worked hard. Psychology Today talks about a study that was done, and people were asked to keep a weekly gratitude journal. And those that were in the study indicated that it gave them a, an increased sense of optimism. It even increased how much they exercise. Hmm. Maybe if we want to exercise more, we should have more gratitude. It gave them more determination. They had better attention, better enthusiasm, better energy. I was talking with someone before the service about prednisone. And they said, I could only imagine you on prednisone. <laughs> you want more energy? You want more enthusiasm in your life? Don't, it's not about... It's not about a pill, it's, it's, hey, let's, if we have more gratitude, that can produce more of those things in our lives. People that were in this study, it even reduced their physical ailments. And what the study found was that gratitude is associated with better sleep, with lower anxiety and depression. In other words, gratitude is good for us in every single way imaginable. Paul says in Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Have you ever tried that? Everything. Everything. Giving God thanks for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That means every situation. Every pain in the butt person that you work with or that you're married to or that's your children or that's your parent to give thanks even when we're falsely accused.
The third situation that Joseph found himself in was that he was forgotten. So he's been betrayed. He's been falsely accused, and now he's been forgotten. This is a recipe. This is a recipe for disaster in your life. Joseph had this gift, and his gift was to interpret dreams. Chapter 40, verses 14 and 15, it says, When all goes well with you, because he's now interpreted the dreams for two of Pharaoh's former employees. And he says, when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. He just says, remember me when you get out. Because I've, I've been put into forced slavery. I've been falsely, unfairly imprisoned. I'll help you. I'll interpret your dream you helped me by mentioning me to Pharaoh. And you know what happened? They forgot him. In fact, two years goes by without this employee of Pharaoh remembering. In fact, the interesting thing is that Joseph interpreted his dream Pharaoh called him and, and put him back in his position. So every day he's back in this position, he sees Pharaoh, or uh, excuse me, uh, Pharaoh on a, on a regular basis, and he still doesn't remember. It takes two years. It's not until Pharaoh has a dream and no one can interpret it that he finally remembers this guy named Joseph. I better, I better let Pharaoh know that there's somebody that can, in fact, interpret his dreams. Let me ask you this, if you were betrayed, if you were accused falsely, if you were forgotten, how would you respond when they come knocking on your cell door? Hey, by the way, Pharaoh needs you. <laughs> Most of us, we'd been thinking about our response for a long time. We'd have a real good one right there, wouldn't we? We would really have a response because I have been betrayed I have been falsely accused. I have been forgotten in this prison for two years. This is the last. I'll, I'll never. I'm, I'm done helping people. I've learned the hard way. Not going to help anybody anymore. It might be easy for us to refuse to help. But look at how Joseph handles himself. He says to Pharaoh, God will give Pharaoh the answer. Pharaoh, don't worry. The dreams that you had, God's going to give you the answer to these dreams. And so he interprets these dreams. And he gives counsel. He gives Pharaoh a plan on what to do. Because these dreams are talking about seven years of, of drought and famine that are going to follow uh, seven years of plenty. So God gives through Joseph this plan on what to do. Genesis chapter 41, verses 41 and 42. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. So Joseph interprets the dreams. 
gives Pharaoh the plan, and Pharaoh realizes that this is the guy that I need to actually put in charge of the next 14 years in Egypt. And I'm going to make this guy so, so he's going to be the number one authority outside of Pharaoh himself so that whatever he says, everyone will do. Imagine if Joseph had responded with anger and hurt, resentment and bitterness. Do you think that would have happened? I don't think so. I don't believe so. Instead, we read in chapter 50, verse 20, that Joseph had learned. He had learned to be thankful because it came around that his brothers came to Egypt looking for food. Look at what he says in verse 20. Talking to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph reflected on the terrible wrongs that had been done to him, and he saw how God was at work. But it didn't happen right away. It was years after he had been betrayed. It was years after he had been falsely accused. It was years after he had been forgotten. Wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to wait years? Because we could understand. We could understand these things. All the, the hurt and the pain and the struggle that we've gone through. But God calls us today and says, I want you to be thankful for all things right now. You don't have those answers. You don't have that perspective yet. I do, God says, but you don't. And I want you to be thankful. Joseph was able to look at it that way, and God literally changed his life through gratitude. I ran across an article on a, on a website called Halo, and it says this, According to a vast majority of psychologists, researchers, and experts, gratitude is one of the few things that can literally change our lives for the better. I would say Scripture supports that statement, or that statement supports Scripture. Gratitude can change our lives for the better. Even if we've been forgotten, we can be thankful. And I believe that God wants to change you. He wants to change me. Even if we've been betrayed, even if we've been falsely accused, even if we have been forgotten, no matter how egregious the circumstance is God wants to change us through gratitude. I'll give you something from Colossians here, chapter 3, that Paul says, starting at verse 15. He said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, 
do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father. Here's what I think Paul is saying to us. Number one is just be thankful. You say, what do you mean by, I mean, determine ahead of time. Determine ahead of time. Before the betrayal, before the false accusation, before, before the, the for, being forgotten, determine in your heart that you are going to be grateful. Secondly, worship God with gratitude. I, I just, I really want to encourage you on this point. When we when we worship, when we have a time to worship, or when you are, are in your daily time with God, why would somebody, why would somebody really engage in, in real worship? I'll tell you why. It's because we're grateful. Because we're grateful for what God has done for us. Worship the Lord with a grateful heart. And number three, in everything that you say, in everything that you do, simply give thanks to Him. You know, some people would say, if, if I were happy, I could, I could really be grateful. But the problem is that you're not happy because you're grateful. You're not grateful because you're happy. You are happy because you're grateful. Let your mind try to wrap around that. And that I have tried to think of that this week and I still couldn't say it right. This is Thanksgiving week. I know some of you are already dreading having family gatherings. Determine ahead of time that you'll be grateful. Amen? We're going to have a great week. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding you. You are going to have a great week. I'm speaking it over you in Jesus' name. You are going to have the most amazing week. And here's why. Because of the Word of God, you are going to have gratitude in your heart. You're going to give thanks. You're going to decide even before you get there. You're going to decide even before somebody says something stupid at the dinner table and they bring up politics. And you're going to be so mad. Nope, we're going to be grateful. Amen? Is anybody going to be grateful? Raise your hand, you're going to be grateful. Let's stand.